1: It is Wednesday, April 13th, and this is People Every Day. Hello there, everyone. It's me, Janine Rubenstein. Now, I know some parts of the country have had some pretty nasty weather this week, so I am just going to send you all the warmth from this here beautiful spring day here in Southern California. The birds are chirping, and my newsfeed is all abuzz, so let's dive into what is happening out there in the world. As you may have heard, comedian and actor Gilbert Gottfried died yesterday at the age of 67 from a long-term heart-related ailment. A stand-up comic by trade, his podcast, Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast, aired its last episode on April 4th. Gottfried was a cast member on Saturday Night Live for one season and went on to lend his iconic voice to Iago in the Disney classic Aladdin, along with dozens of other animated shows and movies. His notable films include Look Who's Talking To, Problem Child, and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Among the tributes pouring in to the comedic legend following his death was one from former co-star Jason Alexander, who tweeted, Gilbert Gottfried made me laugh at times when laughter did not come easily. What a gift. I did not know him well, but I love what he shared with me. My best wishes and sympathy to his family. R.I.P. Gilbert Gottfried. Now, Gottfried is survived by his wife, Dara, 14-year-old daughter, Lily, 12-year-old son, Max, sister, Karen, and nephew, Graham. And along with comedy giants, Bob Saget, Louis Anderson, and Norm MacDonald, who all died recently, Gilbert Gottfried will be dearly missed. Now for an update to a story we covered a few weeks ago. Sherry Papini is pleading guilty to faking her own kidnapping. Back in 2016, Papini claimed to have been abducted at gunpoint while out jogging in rural Redding, California, but is now admitting her story was completely fabricated. At the time, the 39-year-old wife and mother of two told authorities that she was held captive by Two Hispanic women who tortured her, branded her, and kept her chained in a bedroom for 22 days. After investigating the alleged kidnapping, the DOJ uncovered that Papini had actually been staying with a former boyfriend and that she harmed herself to support her false kidnapping claims. Now, in a statement released by her attorney, Papini said, I am deeply ashamed of myself for my behavior and so sorry for the pain I've caused my family, my friends, all the good people who needlessly suffered because of my story, and those who worked so hard to try and help me. And Papini added, I will work the rest of my life to make amends for what I have done. I mean, what a story. She hasn't yet elaborated on why she did this and, and what was going on at home back in 2016, but faking a kidnapping and now facing jail time. I mean, it seems like getting a divorce or or taking some time away would have been a lot less work in the long run and a lot less destructive. So, yesterday, we reported on the developing story surrounding the violent shooting that occurred on a New York City subway car. As we've learned more information about the incident, more questions have been raised about the motive, the suspect, and the city's response.
2: Today,
0: uh, Frank James has been charged by complaint. He will be arraigned in federal court in Brooklyn. And if convicted, he will face a sentence of up to life imprisonment.
1: New Yorkers are still shaken from the subway shooting that took place yesterday in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. Over 20 people were injured after a man wearing a gas mask threw a smoke bomb on the ground of a subway car and began shooting. As of now, there have been no casualties, and the police have identified and arrested a suspect, a man named Frank R. James. It's beyond upsetting, especially for those in and around New York City, and there's still so much to try and comprehend. So joining me now to discuss everything we know is People Crime Editor Greg Hanlon. Hey, Greg.
2: Hey, Janine.
1: We now know this is not being investigated as an act of terrorism, and investigators believe that the man who carried this out acted alone. No explosive devices were found on the train, but they did find an automatic handgun that was jammed. So, Greg, what else do we know? What other details have, have come out?
2: This guy fired more than 30 shots and hit 10 people. But the fact that Nobody died here, I think, is nothing short of a a miracle, and and none of the injuries as of yesterday were even considered life-threatening. In terms of what else we know, they found a collection of belongings on the train that they uh, believe belonged to the gunman, uh, including a hatchet, two gas canisters, and the handgun. They also found a key to a U-Haul which was rented by the, the suspect.
1: A lot of people are pointing out some uh, flaws in the New York subway system. For starters, the, the security cameras at this station weren't working, right? And then there was a policeman who was at the subway station whose radio wasn't working?
2: Yeah. One would think that if the cameras were working and they got kind of a better look at him at the time, you know, that would have helped the investigation. The subway system is is woefully underfunded. And that's been the case for a long time. It's a very old system. Things are very expensive and inefficient to replace. And that's sort of a problem with the system. It's old infrastructure. It relies on a state funding system. So there's a tension with these upstate, largely Republican politicians not wanting to fund the city subway system, even though that's the economic engine uh, you know, for the state of New York.
1: So what about the police presence? Because you think when you see police officers at the subway stations, you're like, OK, I'm going to be safe here. That, that's
2: been criticized as well. Despite the presence of these officers, this still happened and invites the question of what additional measures could be taken. Mayor Eric Adams said a few hours afterwards that he was I think it was doubling the number of officers on subway station platforms. Whether that could you know, prevent something like this, I, I don't know. That's, that's an open question.
1: Well, as we mentioned earlier, a suspect by the name of Frank R. James was arrested this afternoon. He is a 62-year-old Black man, and police have learned that he has addresses in Philadelphia and Wisconsin, as well as a criminal past and disturbing social media posts. So what else do we know about him?
2: These social media posts are really quite disturbing and bigoted. He blames Black women for violence among black people and says that white people are genocidal. This suspect clearly had some mental health issues, which of course points to something we, we often come back to, to with these tragedies, is just the ease with which such people with mental health problems can get access to firearms.
1: I'm wondering, what is it like in New York today
2: New York is, is unbelievably resilient. We saw that after 9-11 and various other, other tragedies, and, and that's just sort of the tradition of the city. But I also think it, it, it's a, a testament to kind of realistic risk assessment. It's still important to point out that New York, as far as you know, cities go, is, is still incredibly safe, and that is attested to by the fact that life expectancy in New York City is actually higher than it is in any, in any state in the United States.
1: This is so interesting, Greg, and I appreciate you taking the time to discuss it with me.
2: Thanks a lot, Janine.
1: If you guys aren't watching Netflix's new reality dating show, The Ultimatum, I don't know what you're doing. It is fascinating. And coming up, we're getting into all of the utter chaos in the new Love is Blind offshoot. But right after the break, it's another Cover Wednesday on People Every Day, and we dig into this week's featured cover star, the incredible Viola Davis. The Oscar winner plays Michelle Obama in the upcoming Showtime series, The First Lady, and is weeks away from releasing her memoir. We'll be right back We are back, and for today's Cover Wednesday, we are featuring acclaimed Oscar Emmy and Tony Award-winning actress Viola Davis, who set the star in the new series The First Lady, premiering this Sunday on Showtime. In it, Davis portrays former First Lady Michelle Obama. They want to turn me into a black Martha Stewart? I will pick my team, choose my causes, understood. And not only that, her long-awaited memoir, Finding Me, will be on shelves on April 26th. And joining me now here to recap her interview with the star, People's senior West Coast writer, Julie Jordan. Hey, Julie. Welcome back. Hello.
0: Thank you. Nice to be here, as always.
1: You've had the pleasure of sitting with her a few times before. So for this particular interview, what struck you the most about her story?
0: I'm always just so amazed with how much grace Viola possesses. She immediately puts you at ease. She has absolutely no barriers. And if she can share and have a moment with you, she is going to do that. And she's going to make you feel like you've known each other your entire lives.
1: And you have like really chronicled her journey, which is a super gripping one that I feel like not a lot of people knew before we at People really started just like sitting down and digging into her backstory, right?
0: Her childhood was unfathomable in terms of the poverty she experienced. She was constantly hungry. Her parents just tried to make ends meet and they were constantly struggling. She also experienced abuse. Her father routinely beat her mother because he was an alcoholic. There was sexual abuse in her family that she had to endure as well. It kind of just really... Mm. puts you in awe of everything she was able to overcome and how she was able to be so successful.
1: For sure. And she's played very notable and iconic roles throughout her career, but now she's in some pretty big shoes, right? Portraying the one and only Michelle Obama in The First Lady. So what type of pressure did she say she felt for this role?
0: Well, I always laugh because Viola has a severe case of imposter syndrome. She always thinks she's not good enough. When I ask her about her roles, she just says, don't talk about it. I don't want to know. Don't tell me about it. I don't care. Um, for this one, especially she was, it was a lot of pressure because clearly she wanted people to see Michelle when they looked at Viola and the transformation is just amazing. Like I was watching just one of the trailers and I listened before I looked. I was like, oh, they have Michelle on there and it's Viola. (laughs) She's very proud of this project. And she says that's not always the case, but I think she's a little also maybe nervous just to see what Michelle thinks because Michelle's going to see it before the rest of the world.
1: What did she tell you about her life outside of the fame, you know, and outside of, of everything that we see on the screen?
0: She sees it all as joy. She sees every step in her journey as a way of getting her to where she needed to be right now, which is an amazing, obviously successful actress, incredibly happy mother, married to the love of her life. And, you know, she says she always looks at that little girl who, you know, was bullied in third grade and, and you know, tormented because she was black. And she's just grateful that Uh. that that little girl can exist and be happy. And it brings her peace because now she feels like she's home. Thank you so much for coming on, Julie. Of course. And guys, make sure you check out the story
1: online now and get a copy of this issue on Newsstands Friday. If you have listened to this podcast, you know that I love me a guilty pleasure TV show and Netflix has just delivered in a big way. The Ultimatum, Marry or Move On. (laughs) That's the name of the show, and it's a concept I can't even wrap my head around. I mean, if you are not texting with your friends, like I am, about this, you need to start. Nick and Vanessa Lachey host this latest installment to messy dating shows from the creators of Love Is Blind, and it is basically all in the title. Longstanding couples come on the show to get engaged or to break up. The catch being that for three weeks, they date a fellow, not really single person on the show, in a sort of like, like, wife swap situation to help them decide whether or not they're ready to walk down the aisle. The reunion episode was just released, and I won't spoil it for the latecomers, but I just need to talk about this show. And here to break this down with me is People's staff editor for TV, Jodi Guglielmi. Hey, Jodi.
3: Hey, I'm so excited to talk about this show. Me
1: too. Netflix is already all in, announcing season two before season one was even over. There is more to come, but Jody, set the stage as to, like, how things work.
3: So you have a a group of couples, one person in the relationship has issued an ultimatum, which is that they're ready to get married. The other person, not quite so sure. So they go on the show and during that time, they basically like have relationship swaps. They go and they move in with somebody from another couple to kind of figure out is this the relationship I want to be in or is there something different for me out there? And both sets of the couple go. They move in fully with these people for three weeks, act as if they're in a relationship, and then after three weeks moves back in with their real boyfriend or girlfriend and at the end decide... They decide if that's who they want to be with or if they want to pursue a relationship with the other person or walk away single.
1: But wait, Nick and Vanessa kind of did this already, right?
3: So before we even really get into the experiment, Vanessa reveals that she once issued an ultimatum to Nick and said, you know, we've been dating for this long. You're talking about wanting a family. I live with you. Like, what's up? So they actually said that they broke up for a little bit of time. They both went and dated somebody else. And that is what made them realize that at the end of the day, they loved each other and they wanted to be with each other.
1: But um, what about you? Where do you fall in that discussion? Like, is this helpful to these couples or is it hurting the couples?
3: I think that if you are at this point in your relationship, you should probably just break up because clearly you're not on the same page. Because the thing with these couples is that they've been together for like two plus years. You don't have any couples who like just started dating. I think from the outside, you would think, oh, of course, it's all the women who have issued the ultimatums, but there are two men who are the ones who kind of put their foot down and said, okay, I'm ready for this next step. And it's the women who are hesitant. I don't know how well issuing ultimatums work, but you know, for some of these couples, it worked. For some of them, it didn't. This show was a mess and a masterpiece all at once.
1: (laughs) Well, well, the biggest part of the experiment is the newly formed couples, formed from other couples, (laughs) moving in together and living together as a couple. What was a jaw-on-the-floor moment for you from the show?
3: I had moments where I was like, that's cheating. They are cheating. (laughs) Like. (laughs) And I know that it's an experiment and they were told to go and live as if they were in a relationship. But I was surprised by the fact that some of these couples were intimate with each other, like in varying different ways, different levels of intimacy.
1: Like you were just in a whole relationship with someone talking about marriage, (laughs)
3: <laughs> yes, and you're going to go and kiss another girl. I would watch that back and be like, "Get out of my house." They literally had to watch their partner go and date somebody else, and they would come together, all the guys would come together, all the girls would come together. That's the part.
1: That's it for me, Jody. Them sitting there and saying like, "Ooh, this is what your man is missing."
3: Like, what? <laughs> Maybe it's my ego, but I would not be able to sit there and listen to that. Jody, thank you so
1: much for taking the time. Of course. All right, guys, well, Al Pacino is known for delivering some of the best performances in Hollywood history, typically playing these dark, rough characters who are always just teetering on the edge of losing it, which is why this last story is so surprising, and I can't stop laughing as I think about it. On Saturday, Jason Momoa shared a photo of himself out at dinner with a group of friends and the 81-year-old Godfather star was one of them. Internet sleuths were quick to examine the photo and notice Pacino's phone on the table in front of him. Totally normal. But what people can't stop talking about is his phone's case. It's Shrek. (laughs) Tony Montana's phone case is made up of dozens of photos of the friendly green ogre. It's just so funny to think of ultra macho tough guy Al Pacino buying a Shrek phone case. Like, he didn't buy this. Who got this for him? (laughs) Fans are loving it and have been chiming in all over social media with one saying, Al Pacino has a Shrek phone case. One more reason as to why he's a legend. (laughs) Legendary indeed. Now, I just can't stop thinking about how great it would be to have Al Pacino play a villain in Shrek. Wait a minute. You took Freddie in because the Corleone family bankrolled your casino because the Molinari family on the coast guaranteed his safety. Now, we're talking business. Let's talk business. Eat me! Let me give you a little inside information about God. God likes to watch. He's a prankster. Oh, no,
0: not the buttons. Not
1: my gumdrop buttons. No, I'm just getting warmed up. If you are interested in being just like Michael Collion, (laughs) you can order your own Shrek case for the very affordable price of just (laughs) $12.95. Well, thank you all for making it through Wednesday with us. Be sure to download and listen again tomorrow for another episode of People Every Day.